for our reading today and our focus today will be there. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23. You get there, you'll find the following words written by the Apostle Paul. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, knowing the eyes, uh, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And so for a thought today, I want to lift this theme, remembering you in my prayers. Remembering you in my prayers. Um, as, as we look at that, I want to talk about the importance of intercessory prayer, the importance of intercessory prayer, how important it is to be intercessors. Intercessory prayer is the act of praying to God on behalf of others, on behalf of someone else, lifting someone else in prayer. We do it every Sunday. We do Hopefully you do it more than just on Sunday, but it is important that we do that. Uh, it's important. There, there, there are some specific things that intercession does. Intercession does some specific things. Intercession causes us to internalize God's word, and it changes us. Intercession unites our hearts to people and places that we pray for. Intercession renews our hope and our faith in God. Intercession imparts life. That's what it does. Intercession makes a long-term impact beyond this age. Intercession humbles us. Humbles us. Intercession not only does that, intercession changes the spiritual atmosphere of cities and nations when we pray. Intercession causes multiple blessings to return to the intercessor. Now, that's not the reason why we intercede, but it is a fact of intercession that when you pray for someone else, God has a way of then blessing you anyway. Even though I'm praying for Martha, God will bless Ricky. Now, it's not dependent upon that because God's blessings will come to us no matter, but it's good for us to have a heart intercession. I love what E.M. Bounds says about intercession. E.M. Bounds says this, prayer must be broad in its scope. It must plead for others. Intercession for others is the hallmark 
of all true prayer. Prayer, he says, is the soul of a man stirred to plead with God for men. I think I want to read that again. Here's what Ian Bounds says. Prayer must be broad in scope. It must plead for others. Intercession, he says, uh, for others is the hallmark of all true prayer. Prayer is the soul of a man stirred to plead with God for men. That's what intercession looks like. Uh, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of a song we used to sing when I was growing up in the church. Some of y'all will be familiar with this and then some of you might not be. Amen, somebody. It was sung by a group that will be familiar to some and not to others. The group was the Mighty Clouds of Joy. I knew I'd get a few amens right there. <laughs> when I was growing up, Nate, in the church, we used to have altar prayer. And while we were on our way to the altar, not just when I was growing up, for a while as I preached, we would have altar prayer. And as we were on our way to the altar for altar prayer, we would sing this song, pray for me. Pray for me. Oh, my brother, pray for me. When we bow at the altar, please, please don't forget to pray for me. I once was lost and could not find my way. I thank the Lord somebody prayed for me. But since I found Jesus, I can surely say, I thank the Lord I'm on my way. If you want to be blessed, you must share with the rest all the things that you've received. So pray for me. Oh, my brother, pray for me. When you bow at the altar, please don't forget to pray for me. Mighty Clouds of Joy talk about intercessory prayer, but then I'm reminded also of another one by Dorothy Norwood. She says this, she says, somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind. They took the time, somebody help me with it, to pray for me. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Somebody trying to sing it right now. I'm so glad they prayed for me. I'm so glad my mother prayed for me, had me on her mind. I'm so glad she prayed for me. Uh, the preacher prayed for me. He had me on his mind. I'm so glad he prayed for me. He took the time and prayed for me. I'm so glad he prayed for me. Intercessory prayer is important for the life of the believer. In fact, a Christian who prays only for himself is not only self-focused, but he is self-limiting. You limit yourself when all of your prayers are about you. At his disposal is the incredible opportunity for prayer to impact the lives of others, yet he is using prayer only for his own needs. It is a wasted opportunity. We are all intercessors. Didn't know if you knew that. All of us are intercessors. We are called to intercede and we must be willing to pray beyond the confines of our own homes, beyond our family, beyond our job, and beyond our own health. That's the reason why we do it every Sunday. We pray for others. Because it's important for us to keep an outward focus and an intercessory focus in our prayer life. It can be so easy to be, get caught up in self. 
if we're not careful. Uh, but intercessory prayer is important. It's a concept we see Jesus himself modeling all throughout his earthly ministry. In fact, the night before he, his death on the cross, Jesus certainly spent time praying for his own strength and then the coming trial. But first he prayed not just for his disciples, but also for us as well. You remember the high priestly prayer in John 17, in 1720. Here's what Jesus prays. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who that's talking about, don't you? That's talking about us. Jesus had us on his mind as he knew he was making his way to Calvary's cross the next day. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's the writer of today's text, likewise prayed regularly and fervently for others. He began almost each epistle that he wrote, sharing that he was giving thanks and praying for the spiritual growth of those to whom he wrote. Paul believed intercession to be one of the most important aspects of faith and prayer life. As praying for others is a recurring theme in all of his works. Prayer serves as a way for Paul to acknowledge God's power. Intercessory prayer also acts as a way for the apostle to share in the Father's redemptive love for others. Paul believed that prayer transformed the person doing the praying. He believed that as much as the one being prayed for which creates, Paul believed, a stronger bond between the prayer and God. Intercessory prayer is important. But besides his teachings and exhortations on prayer, there are many actual recorded prayers by Paul in Scripture, and all of them are intercessory in nature, all of them. Every time you see him praying or talking about prayer, it is related to praying for others. For instance, I want to give you a few examples. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, I'm not going to read all of it, but here's part of his prayer in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to just do 3 and 4. Here's what he says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Then in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, there's another prayer by Paul. I'm going to just share three verses of it for you from chapter 1, 3 through 6. Here's what he says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Then in in this very epistle that we are studying in chapter 3, we'll get there later, but he has another famous prayer that he prays in chapter 3. It spans from verse 14 to verse 21. I'm going to just share part of it with you. Here's what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then that brings us then to today's 
passage. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 is where we are now. And when we get here, we find that we've arrived after Paul has given his introduction to this letter. We covered that a couple of weeks ago. And then he sought to remind them, Brother Sam, uh, he reminded his readers uh, what they have been blessed with in Christ. We talked about it last week. I told you that it was in him, that we have some things in him. And Paul reminds them in the second part of this letter what we have been blessed with in him. And Paul then closes this opening chapter with prayer, which, by the way, is really more than just a single isolated intercessory prayer. It's actually Paul's description of his ongoing, constant, fervent attitude of prayer on behalf of the Ephesian saints. You remember he says, he's telling them how he prays for them. We'll look at this, we'll look at this passage uh, in two parts. First part will be the announcement. The second part will be supplication. We'll look at it in those two parts. Announcement first and then supplication. First announcement. Let's look at announcement verses 15 and 16. 15 and 16. Let's look at it. 15 says this. I want to read it again. Uh, actually, let me do this. I want to look at 16 first, and then we'll come back to 15. 16 says this. 16 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I wanted to look at 16 first because in 16 is where we have this announcement that Paul is praying for the recipients of his letter. He shares with them his heart as it relates to him praying for them. He says to them, I remember you always. Every time I pray, always I remember you. I don't cease. I want you to know that. I don't cease remembering you in my prayers. That is the announcement. Uh, but then in 15, we get part of the reason that he's praying. 15, let's back up. It says this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So first, it's a little out of order because he announces his desire and his heart to remember them in prayer in 16, but then in 15 he says, this is the reason. It's part of the reason. It's not all of the reason, but part of the reason is because their faith and their love for the saints is famous. I don't know about you, but I want what I do for the Lord to be famous, that others, before I even get that, that others maybe that don't even know me, have, Paul says, I've heard about it. <laughs> I've heard about your faith in Jesus. I've heard about your, what kind of love do you have to have for the saints for it to go ahead of you so that it precedes you when you get there? That people know about your love for others before they even meet you. Paul says, this is the reason why I'm praying is that because, because I've heard of your steadfast love. I've heard of your firm faith. I am praying. I don't cease to remember you. In my prayers, but also part of the reason is that Paul has just assured them of their spiritual blessings. Remember that we talked about it last week. He had just done this. He had just assured them of some of their spiritual blessings like predestination 
and adoption and grace and redemption and forgiveness and inheritance and sealing. He had just reminded them about all of those blessings. And prayer is now in order that they may grow closer to the giver of these great blessings. And so we have this announcement of prayer and he gives this reason why he is praying for them constantly. But then we move into verses 17 through 23. And in 17 through 23, we get supplication. Supplication is nothing more than request, a request that is made to God, right? He then expresses why he's praying, not why, but what he's praying for on their behalf. So he begins to talk through this list of supplication. First thing we see is he prays that mysteries would be revealed for them. It's in 17 and 18 that mysteries would be revealed. Let's look at 17. 17 says this. 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In essence, he's saying to them, my supplication, my request to you, to God for you, is that these mysteries would be revealed to you, right? So he says this in 17. He prays that, the, that, that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What, what does it mean? Well, wisdom, wisdom gives insight into the true nature of things, and revelation is the unveiling of the subject discussed. Here, the subject is God, and Paul says that he's praying that all of God, that God wants them, them to know would be revealed to them, uh, that they would have wisdom. But there's a bit of controversy in this verse. There's a bit of controversy as to whether or not Paul is making reference to the Holy Spirit or just the, uh, the spirit uh, of man that would lead them to wisdom, manly spirit. There's, there's a bit of controversy. About, and so I want to share with you some information on it. In, in, in the NIV and here in the ESV, it appears that Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit because it's capitalized. Spirit is capitalized. So it, it, it makes reference and it gives the idea that he's praying for the Holy Spirit. But in the NASB and the New King James, it appears that Paul is talking about a human spirit that is receptive to God's understanding. Well, the truth is that both of those are true to the context. The wisdom and revelation that Paul is talking about can't come except from the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, our spirits need to be willing and open to receive it. A good way to say it then is that Paul is praying for Spiritual wisdom and revelation. This carries the idea of both spiritual wisdom and revelation. What's Paul's purpose, though, for making this supplication on behalf of his readers, that they would have spiritual wisdom, the spiritual wisdom and the revelation to know God fully, right? What, what's his purpose? That they may know God better is the reason why he's praying for this for them. Not just an abstract knowledge of God. Many have that. Uh, object, objective facts about God. Many have that. But rather an intimate knowledge of him who consists of, which consists of intimate awareness of God's character and will. That is why he prays that the mysteries would be revealed so that they could grow closer. 
But then in 18, he, he, there's another part of, of this. In 18, it says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Part of the revelation of the mystery is that he says, I want you to know about the hope and the inheritance God has in store for you. He says, the eyes of your heart enlightened to know hope and not just inheritance, but glorious inheritance. So first he, play, he prays that, uh, that they may know the hope to which he has called you. Hope in this verse is the Greek word peace, and it is eager watchfulness, eager watchfulness. It's what hope is. Jesus Christ, in other words, is the hope of glory, according to Colossians 1, 27. It's Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ's return is our blessed hope. His return is Jesus Christ provides the hope that motivates us that the future with him will be better. Just think about Jesus. You can't help but have hope. It's different than the kind of hope we think about. It's, 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 it's different than that. Our hope oftentimes, uh, Cynthia, is limited in its scope and in its depth, but this kind of hope has no limitations because it is rooted and grounded in Jesus. And whenever there's something that's rooted and grounded in Jesus, there is no limitations. There are no limitations on it. And it is about Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's where our hope lies. We have been called, you'll remember, we have been called to a future hope according to Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah says in 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's limitless. Paul prays for our hope to expand and embrace a big future. Rather than shrivel in pain. This is, this, is, this is one commentator's version of it. He says, let me start it, let me start over. He says, Paul prays for our hope to expand and embrace a big future rather than shrivel in pain, bitterness, and discouragement, or die in a parched desert of spiritual starvation. That's a description of the hope we have. And then he talks about this glorious inheritance. What is this glorious inheritance? inheritance. What is an inheritance? We covered some of it last week, but let's look at it again. Since Paul decides to talk about it again, I think it might be good for us to revisit it. Glorious, he calls it glorious inheritance. Inheritance consists of the carefully accumulated possessions of another, set aside and preserved to pass on to one's heirs. Ours is a glorious inheritance, Paul says. An inheritance which is attended by glory, which consists of glory in his presence, and which makes us rich beyond all comparison. I'm not talking about your bank account, by the way. <laughs> I'm talking about your spiritual blessings, your spiritual inheritance that's been promised. We are rich beyond all comparison. We are to comprehend the degree of riches of his inheritance. It, it, it means, uh, the Greek word means wealth, abundance, plentiful supply. 
It is not meager, but abundant, overflowing, beyond counting. If you remember, I shared with you last week as we talked about this idea of inheritance. Shared with you kind of what I felt like it meant, what I felt like it was referring to. Paul takes it to another level today. He says it is glorious It is the same, though, inheritance that he spoke of last week in in, in the text from last week. But uh, so I shared with you last week this, that that, uh, our joint heirship with Christ means that we have already received some things. Y'all remember I shared that? I said Paul talks about in Romans that we are joint heirs with Christ, right? And that that means that that signifies that there's some things, Martha, we've already gotten, (laughs) Uh, anybody here question that or doubt that there are some things you've already gotten as an heir of Christ? Uh, let me help you if you can't remember. You've already received forgiveness. You've already received redemption. You've already received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But as we have this glorious inheritance that we look forward to uh, being complete, there are some things promised in the future that we haven't yet gotten. We haven't yet got, we haven't yet died and been resurrected, but we've been promised that it'll happen. We have not yet experienced the fullness of eternal life, but we've been promised that it will happen. We have not yet experienced uh, ruling eternally with Christ. But we know that it's part of our glorious inheritance. So he talks about these mysteries revealed. In, 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 in these verses, and then in 17 and 18, then we move to 19 and 20, where uh, as he is making supplication, he prays that the power of God would be comprehended by his readers, that they would be able to comprehend. I, I, it's tough now. now you know, it's tough to, to really wrap your mind around God's power. But that's what Paul is praying in this section of the text, that they would comprehend the power of God. So in 19, here's what he says. 19, it says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? So next, Paul prays that they might comprehend the immeasurable greatness of God's power working in their or our lives. The immeasurable greatness. It is incomparably great. It means to attain a degree that extraordinarily exceeds a point on a scale of extent. Go beyond, surpass, outdo. It's a quality of exceeding a standard of excellence. Paul combines these two words, immeasurable greatness, to illustrate the extreme, immeasurable nature of the power of God. God's full power at our disposal, working in us who believe. God's full power. Paul says, Understand it, comprehend it as much as you can. So, because it's difficult to comprehend and understand, would you agree? (laughs) It's kind of difficult to grab to get a hold of that, isn't it? So because it's difficult, Paul decides to give an illustration. I like it. I love illustration. I love 
application. I love all of that. And so he doesn't leave us there. He, he gives an illustration of this immeasurable great power and might in verse 20. Here's what verse 20 says. That he worked in Christ when he raised him. This is what the immeasurable power looks like. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That is a beautiful illustration of this immeasurably great power. It is the same power that invaded the tomb of Jesus, raised him from the dead, and carried him home to heaven. It is the power that is at work in our lives as well. Death conquering, life changing, resurrection power is at work in our lives all the time. It's an illustration in verse 20 of what this power looks like. It's the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead. It's that power that will bring our bodies. I told you we haven't seen it yet, but at one point, at some point in, his, in, in, in the future, you'll recognize and be the beneficiary of this resurrection power. Maybe you'll understand a little better when you get up like Jesus did. <laughs> Amen, somebody. The same power that Jesus, that took Jesus home to heaven will take us home to heaven someday. So Paul illustrates what this power, it still, it still falls short, though. It falls short. It, it, it really still, it, I don't know how much we are able to comprehend the depths, the greatness of God's power. Paul tries. He uses a pretty good example when he uses Christ. Uh, he tries, he, he prays that somehow his readers, and us will comprehend the mighty power of God that is at work within us. It's important that we attempt to do that. And he tries to help us to do it. So he, he, he deals with the supplication of, of praying to God that they will be able to comprehend his power. Then he moves on to the last part of his prayer in that he, he supplicates for them and requests that they would be able to somehow understand God's majesty. So last part in 21 through 23 is, is that majesty would be understood. Majesty would be understood. So in verse 21, verse 21, here's what it says. Far above all rule. Now, this is still talking about Christ and what he did in his infinite power, in his, in his great, immeasurable, incomparable power. This is what he did. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It's what he did in Christ, in, in raising him and seating him in all authority. And so the last part of Paul's prayer is that they would somehow understand this majesty. Christ is not merely alive from the dead, in other words, but is raised to the supreme place in the universe. Uh, that's the kind of power you're dealing with. When you talk about God, 
Not only does he raise him from the dead, but he he seats him uh, in supreme authority in all of the universe. It's what Paul makes reference to in his letter to the Philippians when he writes in Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue. Not some. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, in effect, uh, uh, he says this, in effect, name all the names of power you know. (laughs) Any name you can come up with. I'm not going to attempt to go down any any list right now, (laughs) but just know that any name that anybody can think of. Just name that name, and there is a supreme power that is in authority over that name. It makes no difference what that name is. If it's not Christ, it is subjected under his authority. And at the name of Christ, all of those other names will have to bow. That's what what God's power looks like. And then in verses 22 and 23. He makes a transition. Let's read it. 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul now makes the transition from Christ's sovereignty in the universe to his sovereignty in the church. The church here is the body of Christ. is the body of which Christ is the head. We are the body. Christ is the head. The unity of the church is grounded in an inconceivably intimate connection with Christ, as well as a complete subordination to him. Christ is in authority. The more the church fulfills Christ's mission, the more the church will experience his presence and power as it infiltrates every area of society as Christ representatives. So in closing, question is, what do we do with all of this? What do we do with everything that we've just learned from Paul's prayer? What's the reason that Paul wants them, his, his readers, and us to know these things? What, what, what is the reason? Well, I'll submit to you there are four. First thing is that he desires that his readers as well as us, would walk worthy. When we see this word walk in Scripture, it's a reference to how we live. How we live. Walk means live. Walk means to live our lives. And I submit to you that he's just given them and us all of this information in this prayer so that, number one, we would apply it to our daily walk and that we would walk worthy of the calling that God has given us. We would walk worthy. But then, not only is it relevant and important for us to walk worthy, there's a way that that signifies that we are walking worthy. And that is if our walk pleases God. So the other thing Paul would want us to see from his prayer is that we need to be, be pleasing to God. We need to be pleasing to him. But then... What does that look like? What does it mean to be pleasing to him? Well, it means this, that we ought to bear some fruit. 
I know it's not tied to our works. I know we're not talking about a work salvation, but we have because he's going to tell us in chapter two, but, but, but that through grace we've been saved by faith, not of your works, lest any man should boast. But it also says that we've been saved unto good works, which means that good works ought to flow out of us. It means that there ought to be some fruit hanging off the tree. It means, here's what it means. Can I just break it down? Here's what it means. That if, that, if, that if the sign on the orchard, as I walk into the orchard, if the sign says orange trees, I ought not get in the orchard, Nate, and see lemons hanging off the tree. If you advertise one thing, there ought to be the same thing that hangs off of the tree. There ought to be some fruit as a result of what Paul teaches in his prayer. And then lastly, he says this. Here's the other reason that we would know. This is the main one, that we would know him. That we would know him. What is it? We talked about what it means in an intimate way that we would know him. So it's, it's from another letter that he writes to another church that really is very similar to this letter. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says this. Here's where we get these four things from. It says this. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. Y'all thought I made all those up, didn't you? Y'all thought I made those four things. Y'all thought I just pulled them out of the air, right? No, it's Paul writes about it in his letter to the Colossians. He says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what he wants us to take from his prayer to the Ephesians. Those things that we would do that as we look at his intercessory prayer on their behalf that we would walk worthy, that we would please God, and that ultimately we would know him in a deep and an intimate way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness, for your word. Thank you, Lord. We glorify you today. We pray that we would honor you with these four things as we look at your word and attempt to apply it to our lives that we would honor you with living this way, that we will walk worthy, that we would please you, that we would bear fruit, and that we would have a desire to know you. Help us to do it, Lord God, in a way that is pleasing to you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. We want to make sure that we don't forsake to uh, offer our normal two invitations. If there be someone here that has a de- desire to know Jesus and you don't know him yet, we want to make sure we extend that opportunity to do that. If you have a desire to do it, we have our elders stationed around the building. They'd love to pray with you if you have a desire to do it. There's no better day than right now, no better time than right now. So don't leave if that's on your heart without doing it. They will pray with you or I will pray with you. and We will help to facilitate that relationship. Now, you don't need us to do it. <laughs> you can do it on your own. So just remember that. But we do want to, if you so desire, we would like to and love to pray with you. Uh, and then secondly, 
we want to extend an invitation for those of you who may have been visiting with us and would love to and like to unite with us here at Bethel Hope and become a part of our growing and great family. We want to extend that invitation to you as well. The same brothers that are standing can help with that. Uh, we also have a new streamlined process online. If you want to do it when you get home, just go online to the website and you can do all of the, fill out all the information and it'll, it'll be uh, shot to wherever it needs to go. And, and you'll be contacted. I don't know if that's a good word, but I don't, maybe I shouldn't have said it. It'll be sent <laughs> to wherever it needs to go. <laughs> and you'll be contacted immediately. <laughs> uh, so we want to make sure you have that opportunity as well. Now, so don't, for, don't, so don't forsake to do that. If, uh, those of you that are online, same thing. Same two things. If you want to know Jesus and you'd love for us to help you with that, let it, send us a message, send us an email, send us a message on the Facebook page, and we'll, we'll contact you and pray with you, uh, as well as uh, if you'd like to be a member, we, we'll uh, let you know how to do that as well, online or in person. We have any first-time visitors that are visiting with us today. Would you stand and, and be recognized and remain standing for a moment? Amen. Bless you. Yes, 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 yes. Wonderful. Share with us, stay with that, 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 can you sit down, you got to stand back up, stand back up, stand back up. <laughs> Share with us your name, and if you were invited by someone, or if not, just let us know. Wonderful, bless you, thank you for coming. Yes, ma'am, and sir. Awesome. Stephanie. Okay. And you, sir? Wonderful. 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 Thank you for coming. Listen, we want to say to our, our first-time visitors, we are so delighted that you chose to come and worship with us today. And we want you to know that you're welcome to come back at any time. If there's anything, we, can, we, love, we, are, pr we are praying. We like to pray around here. So if there's something you'd like to pray with you about or for you about, let us know. Uh, we'll pray for you, uh, but you're always welcome to come back and visit with us again. want to say welcome to a couple of other people that are here with us today. Uh, our executive pastor, Fritz Hager, is back there trying to hide in the back. Wave your hand, Fritz. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. And then Jim and Ann Tarter with us today. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, so, again, don't forget, uh, Discover Bethel in just a few minutes. Uh, lunch is provided. Child care is provided. Look forward to that. Uh, if there's nothing else, I normally forget something. Am I forgetting anything? Help me out. Where's my wife? I'm good? Okay. She normally give me a little signal. All right. Wonderful. Nothing else? Then uh, let's pray and uh, be dismissed. Lord, we thank you. And we praise you, Lord, for your word that is a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. Now unto him was able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forever. Let us all say together, amen. amen. God bless you.